Welcome to The Family Room, sponsored by Versprite, where we offer hope, encouragement, and wisdom centered on biblical truth and Catholic teaching, because God's kingdom begins at home. Now welcome your hosts, Mari, John, and Craig, right here on AM 1160, The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic Radio. Welcome into another edition of The Family Room. Uh, I'm Craig Wiesmeyer, and again, I've got my Awesome co-host, John Gordon, with me. Glad to be here. Uh, another show. Unfortunately, Mari, who is traveling out of the country, cannot be here, so she was greatly missed. So keep her in your prayers as she travels in Europe. You know, John, we, we specialize here in, in talking about family and marriage. And it's interesting, as we also have talked about with other guests, how do you discern spirits? How do you discern your life? And we have a great uh, guest who's a uh, well-known author, uh, Father Timothy Gallagher, who has written a book, Discernment of Spirits in Marriage, based on the Ignatian wisdom for husbands and wives, which I think is awesome, as I'm Jesuit educated from high school. So Ignatius was always very prominent in, in my upbringing. Um, what are your thoughts on the topic and discernment? So I, I, despite the fact that I was educated by the Augustinians, have a great affinity uh, for St. Ignatius, especially through the work that we've done with the legionaries. Um, I'm super excited to have this conversation because I think a lot of people perceive Ignatian exercises and those sorts of things to be out there in the ether and for the super holy and the super contemplative. And I think Father Gallagher is going to take us to some things that are pretty practical, particularly with respect to marriage. That's so, perfect. so I think that's that that for me, I think that's going to be um, a big part. We'll see where Father Gallagher takes us. No, I think that's great. And Mari misses it because this is one of the books she was really highly recommending that we talk about. So um, thanks to Mari for uh, really pushing Father Gallagher and, and his book. But before we start, as always, we start in a prayer, John. So do you mind before I introduce sure. Father Gallagher? Absolutely. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the opportunity to, to speak with good people and have good people listening. Father, there are so many minds and hearts and souls that that are wired, you wired them, that, that, that they should ache for you and, and desire to return to you. And you've given us uh, so many so many ways and so many days to make that happen. We ask you that t- during this time today that you would open our minds and open our hearts. Give us a docility of spirit that we might receive the message that you would have us receive, that we would hear what Father Gallagher has to say, that we would be blessed by his words and 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 convicted and moved to action uh, by his word so that everything that we think, do, and say as a result of this time together might give glory to you. Father, we ask this through Jesus' mighty name, through the intercession of our blessed Virgin. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. So family, as we said, we're very blessed to have Father Timothy Gallagher here. Um, He is an American Roman Catholic priest. He's based in Denver. He's an author on a lot of uh, many, sorry, best-selling books on theology and spirituality of Ignatius of Loyola and other themes in the spiritual life. He's been a priest since uh, 1979 and a member of the Congregation of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. Uh, There's a lot of other things in his background, um, but one thing that's really specific is, you know, for me, in, in 1983, he obtained his doctorate from the Pontifical Gregorian University became a spiritual director and retreat leader, and he's taught at St. John Seminary, Brighton, and Our Lady of Grace Seminary, Residence, Boston, both in Massachusetts. And in 15, 2015, 
Father Gallagher accepted the St. Ignatius Chair for Spiritual Formation at St. John Vianney Theological Seminary in Denver. And he's written over 12 books on spiritual themes, uh, published articles in Catholic periodicals. He appears frequently on Catholic television, records many podcasts. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. And without further ado, Father, I'd love to bring you into the show and welcome you into the family room. Oh, I'm very happy to be here, and thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Father, I think we could just take 30 seconds, state the title of your book in a brief summary, and we could fill an hour. <laughs> <laughs> you've, done, you've done a lot, but let's dial it back just for a second if we could, and tell us a little bit about Father Gallagher's faith walk, the, maybe the kind of family you grew up in, and, and how you go from being born to being a, a prolific writer and Roman Catholic priest, and the accomplishments that you've had. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that's why I'm really happy to to have this conversation, because I'd say I, I really owe it all to my parents and the family. My mom was a convert. They're both with the Lord now, uh, married for maybe was it 52, 53 years, whatever, um, long, beautiful marriage. And uh, I'm one of 13 children, so uh, it was quite a, a family to grow up in. And... Um, both parents took their faith uh, very seriously. When they got married, they just very simply decided they would pray the rosary every day, which they did uh, through all the years of their marriage. And as we got old enough, you know, we joined, and mm-hmm. that was we didn't we didn't like being called away from baseball or basketball <laughs> to have to say the rosary. But on a deeper level, uh, nobody really complained, and it was a time for the family to be together. My dad would go to Mass uh, daily on his lunch hour, and then as the children got old enough, my mom would go to the evening Mass in, in the local parish. And so I think we just absorbed the faith uh, as the air we breathed, you know, in the family. There was no coercion, pressure of any kind. Their witness was so simply authentic that uh, we simply all absorbed it, and all of us are more than practicing Catholics today. Most of us are very active in the Church in some way. I have a sister who's a nun, um, oh, wow. and a number of, of my family are very, um, very involved in the Church in a beautiful way. And I would say that that allowed the seed of the vocation, which I have always believed, um, beyond any doubt, the Lord planted in my soul. It allowed it to, to blossom uh, because the soil was there. In the family, we went to Catholic school, and this was uh, in the years leading up to the council, and you know, things kind of uh, held together. We had um, the Daughters of Charity of St. Elizabeth Seton. They were wonderful sisters. I had them for 12 years. And then our parish, which was a small country parish, we had Father James Wolfe, to whom I'll be forever grateful. He was there for 27 years. He built the rectory and the church, and when he had to retire because of illness, uh, left a flourishing parish where there hadn't been a parish. You know, So all of that uh, harmonized and created the soil in which a vocation could be, could be felt. And then uh, as I was finishing high school, it was clear to me that that's what I wanted to do spoke with the pastor and began a process of discernment, which eventually led to the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. There was a lot that attracted me there. Uh, These were the years, the early 70s, when there was so much confusion. This was Marian. In those years, uh, you went over to Rome to study. So that was the Angelicum and St. Thomas. And of course, the Pope was there. All of those things lined up in a way. 
that uh, just drew me. And then I was very quickly, powerfully drawn to the founder of our community, who is the Venerable Bruno Lanteri. Uh, and from him, learned to love the Ignatian spiritual exercises. And then that just launched me into priesthood. I'm in my 45th year now. Oh, wow. I've either been working with uh, seminarians or teaching. And for the last 20 years, uh, as you said, I've been writing books and doing a lot of talks uh, based on things like Ignatian discernment and prayer. So uh, I'm just deeply grateful to the Lord. If I had to do it over again, I'd do it like a shot. Awesome. It's a great testimony. And it's, one thing I didn't mention in your bio is you're also a spiritual director, which has become really prominent today with, you know, we, we are involved with the legionaries here. Um, I've been blessed to to work in spiritual direction with people, which obviously ties back a lot to Ignatian. So if you can break that apart, I mean, you've written a lot of books, and, and, you know, what is it about Ignatius and the Ignatian spirituality, though, more specifically, that's kind of guided you since that time when it was kind of revealed to you, like, this is this is a, a beautiful kind of way to walk the spiritual life? Well, it started with an experience. So as a seminarian, actually, just before diaconate and final vows, I made the 30-day Ignatian retreat. Mm. Now, before that, we had made eight-day retreats of that kind and so forth. But it's really decisive. If you, if you make that retreat, uh, you come out of it different in a very blessed way. So I'd say there was an experience-based um, foundation, you know, to my interest. But even before I made the retreat, something about the, re- the exercises just fascinated me. I think twice in my life that's happened, where you just have this unexplained uh, deep love for something, and you just can't get enough of it. Maybe that's what happens when uh, husband and wife meet, and they know, you know, those kinds of things. And one was getting to know the Venerable Bruno Lanteri. Everybody knew that Father Gallagher was the one that was studying that and reading everything. <laughs> and then the other thing were these Ignatian spiritual exercises. I was just thrilled when I had the opportunity to to make them. Um, now, I'd say that's the foundation but the reason why there is such attraction today, and today I'd say it's wider than it's ever been. Uh, just a couple weekends ago, I was speaking on discernment at a Marian conference here in Denver. There were 500 people there. And uh, as I began uh, the first talk, I just asked the people, how many of you have heard of, well, it's Ignatius' famous Rule 5, you know, don't make changes in desolation. And I just uh, asked how many people here have heard of that rule. And I'd say maybe 70, 80 hands went up. Now, two years, five years, 10 years ago, no hand would have gone up. And I think this teaching is now more widespread among the laity than it's ever been before. And the reason for it is this. Uh, Ignatius doesn't really invent anything. He's uh, solidly rooted in the Church's 2,000-year-old spiritual, well, in his time, (laughs) 1,500-year-old spiritual tradition, um, from which he learned. But his great gift was to be able to take things like discernment in the daily spiritual life or discernment in choices, you know, that we face, or how to pray with Scripture and so on, how to make the examination of conscience, to take these classic things and to formulate them in such a clear, practical, and usable way that we speak of them as Ignatian prayer or the Ignatian examine or Ignatian discernment. But it's really just uh, its just the Catholic Church's spiritual life, but expressed in such a way that it tends to dominate the tradition. So I think that's why people really 
Uh, I never set out to spend my life uh, dealing with Ignatian discernment. What happened was once he started talking about it, and in a way that really touched people's, spoke to their lives, people can just, they can't get enough of it. So it's become, if there were three of me, I'd be busy now. There's just so much interest, uh, so much interest in it. So that's right. It's usable. It's practical. It clarifies things. It gives you freedom from discouragement. It points the way forward. It offers tools. Uh, It's just a jewel. Very practical. So folks, if you're just joining us here in the family room, we're speaking with uh, Father Timothy Gallagher. I can't list quickly all the books that he's written, but we're talking about Ignatian spirituality in particular, and we're going to dive into uh, discernment of spirits. Father Gallagher, you've you've answered a question that that I kind of had in my mind, and I hinted at it as we began the show, and that is there was a point in time, I think, when people thought of Ignatian spirituality as um, a thing for those uh, monks— uh, really devout priests, cloistered nuns, folks who were kind of locked away out of the world. Those are the people who did that. Now, you've shared that there's this awakening. I'm curious, what do you think is driving that awakening? And and clearly, it's not just for, you know, folks who are going to lock, be locked away in a cloistered kind of scenario. It's It's for the laity. And I think that's really kind of Ignatius intended it to be pretty broadly applied. Very much so. And my dream is that everyone in the Catholic Church, and beyond it, but everyone in the Catholic Church know this teaching. That's what people usually say when, let's say, um, they attend a session where I go through it or they read the book. Everybody should know this. Maybe the best way to answer that is just to give one, maybe two examples, but I'll give one anyway. Okay. Now, in the first of his 14 rules, Ignatius starts with the person who is the farthest possible from God. So this would be Augustine before his conversion. This would be Ignatius before his conversion at age 30. This would be the college sophomore who's not going to church anymore and has gotten into bad things, you know. Um, Here's a 41-year-old married businessman who hasn't been to church for 20 years, not always faithful to his wife, willing to engage in seriously dishonest business practices and so forth. So in the first rule, Ignatius explains how the good and bad spirits work in a person in that unhappy spiritual situation, which is not usually the situation of anyone, for example, listening to us now or who would uh, read the book or or come to. Uh, So basically, the enemy tries to uh, facilitate that movement away from God by filling the imagination with images of sensual pleasures and so on. And the good spirit stings and bites. That's that restlessness that Augustine famously talked about that finally brought him back to God. You know, there's no peace. Uh, the 41-year-old married businessman, the sophomore, when the screens are, are shut and the earbuds are out and they're alone, there's something in them that's not happy with the way they're living. And that's God's loving assault on the heart, I would call it. All right. Then Ignatius, in Rule 2, starts to speak generally uh, directly to the experience, and probably, if I can say it reverently, anyone listening to us now. And this is the person who, yes, the just one falls seven times a day, and we all need to ask forgiveness at the start of every Mass and the sacrament of confession, all of that. But people that sincerely don't want sin and do want to grow in the love and service of God. Okay, because the person's direction now is the contrary of the first rule, the action of the two spirits flips. Now it's the enemy, that's the term Ignatius most commonly uses, so I'll use that. Now it's the enemy who tries to hinder that growth, to bring discouragement and so forth, and it's the good spirit who tries to assist that growth by giving 
inspirations and courage and consolations and so forth. Okay. So I went through this once uh, with a group. This was years ago. And then uh, maybe two or three years later, I uh, encountered a woman who had been there uh, when we'd done that. And this was a rule to person. Her whole life was given to God. And I, I would say not only um, uh, in an ordinary way, but to a degree that was just really impressive when you got to know her. This was a really good person, dedicated to the Lord, life dedicated to the service of the Lord, living her vocation. And she told me that when we had gone through that rule too, something changed for her because she had she would hear this voice that would say to her, uh, you don't pray very well. Um, you lose time. You're negligent. You miss opportunities to help other people. You're too self-indulgent. And she would hear these discouraging voices like this in her heart, and she thought that was what God was saying to her. Mm. Now, you can imagine how heavy that is. And for her to discover, no, that's the enemy who's just trying to discourage you. It just changed everything in her spiritual life. She had a whole new freedom and joy to love and serve the Lord. Now, that's just one little example, little. I mean, that's not little for her, but one rule. Now, multiply that by 14 rules and the difference this makes in people's lives. That's why people say when they learn this, how come nobody told me this before and everybody should know this? I could give you more. I'll I'll give you one more scenario. Um, And this um, not going to it's not an individual person, but we'll all recognize this. So. Let's make it a layman, and let's say that a couple days ago there was a difficulty at work, and there's tension there now, and it's it's kind of discouraging. Um, and in the discouragement of it uh, is, well, let's up the ante a little bit and say he talked with his wife, and they didn't quite agree on how he should respond to this, and that's a little difficult, too. Um, normally, he tries to get to daily Mass. He prays a rosary app on his commute home, but he's been so discouraged, all of that is slipping. And now it's uh, 10 o'clock, and he normally ends his day, let's say, by praying night prayer from uh, maybe the Magnificat monthly publication, you know, just a few mm-hmm. minutes, and makes an examination of conscience, maybe looks at the readings for the next day's Mass. Sits at his desk. In front of one hand is the Magnificat. Nothing in him wants to pick it up. In front of the other hand is the phone. Everything in him wants to pick it up in a way that he knows may start innocently, but when he knows, when he picks it up in this situation where it can go. Okay? Ignatius is speaking to that man right now, bringing clarity, helping him understand. He's experiencing spiritual desolation. He's being uh, urged in the desolation to make a change. Uh, in the time of desolation, Rule 5 tells him clearly he shouldn't do that, and so on. So it's as practical as that kind of situation in our lives. That That's what I really enjoyed. Like I felt like Ignatius was a soldier, and he just took everything and applied it as if he was going to have to bring an army to battle. And he prepared each step, each way, and, and when this happens, do this. And I, I know just even personally, just that final... I say final because it's never really final, but that point in time where you, when you can finally recognize desolation as desolation, just a huge burden is removed. Well, the thing I like about Ignatius too is, to your point, I don't have 30 days to go away and do a silent retreat. 
but he's written things practically for people that work. And I'm going to get this wrong, but is, is it the 14th annotation that he wrote that you can take a year or longer to go through, but it's meant for people that have day jobs? Yes, that's called the exercises in daily life. It's the 19th annotation. 19th, that's right. And uh, a lot of people do that, and it's a wonderful thing. So what you do is you do all the same praying that one does in the 30 days, except that in doing having four or five hours of prayer per day in the 30-day retreat, you have one hour every morning. So normally it'll take something like, uh, let's say, seven, eight months, something like that. And you meet once a week with your spiritual director. In the 30 days, you meet every day with your director because a lot's happening in a day. Yeah. Here you do this, and you meet once uh, a, a week. And there's actually, in some ways, um, there are advantages to either. If you get away for the 30 days, there are no distractions, obviously. But if you do this in your daily life, uh, you're learning how to pray in your daily life in a way that uh, you can take with you. And you also have the richness of having prayed in the morning, let's say, uh, with a scripture passage and received some grace or light from the Lord, and now your day is right there. You live it. You know, so there, there's much to be said for the uh, exercises in daily life as well. And that's available to anyone who wants to do it, really. Yeah, now, because I did it, and I had a spiritual guide here that, that walked me through it, and it was a real blessing because— you know, in Ignatian spirituality, you really look at Christ's life in components from, you know, birth to his passion and everything. And you really are forced to sit there with the scripture and really contemplate it, put yourself in it. And maybe you can go into that a little bit, how, how Ignatius put forth, here's how you really need to pray with scripture, right? Not just read it and be done, but really contemplate. Can you talk about practically how, you know, Ignatius leads us to really read scripture and, and pray through that? Mm -hmm. Well, if I may, I'll just mention two of the books that I've done, and Please, then I'll perfect. say something about it. So one of them is called Meditation and Contemplation, an Ignatian Guide to Praying with Scripture. And that's a short book which takes people exactly through the answer to the question you've just raised. And then the uh, second book is titled An Ignatian Introduction to Prayer. Scriptural Reflections According to the Spiritual Exercises. And what I've done there is to take 40 scripture passages chosen according to the um, the dynamic or the outline of the spiritual exercises and uh, just offer some simple, short ways of entering into each of those. Uh, okay, having said that, basically what Ignatius does is to take the tradition, and as I said earlier, he expresses it so clearly that we call it Ignatian, but, but it's really uh, the tradition. So he has two, at least two basic ways of praying with Scripture. One is meditation, and by meditation he means reflection on the meaning of a Scripture passage as the gateway into the richness of God's Word. So, for example, if you're praying with the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and you read that slowly as you pray, and you find yourself thinking, um, this is the first of the Beatitudes. It obviously has a certain importance. And blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. P poverty in spirit seems then the gateway into the kingdom of heaven. That's pretty central. And then, Jesus, you don't just say poverty, but you say blessed are the poor in spirit. You're speaking of something more than just material 
privations. You're speaking of something of the heart. Okay, that, that's meditation where you're reflecting on the meaning. And you can see how as God's grace mingles with our reflective uh, activity, then the word touches our heart. Lord, I need more of that in my life. Help me to to live with more of that poverty of spirit like Mary, like Jesus himself, who had nowhere to lay his head and so forth. The other approach is contemplation, and we'll preface that by an adjective, uh, imaginative contemplation. So Ignatius uses the word differently than John of the Cross, where he's speaking of infused mystical contemplation. Ignatius is speaking of something that is accessible to all of us. And so let's say I'm praying with the coming of the storm at sea. In this approach, I'm there with the disciples in the boat. I see the nightfall. I see them put out um, from the shore in the calm uh, of the evening, quietly rowing, raised to sail. I see Jesus worn from the day, falling asleep in the in the stern of this little boat. I'm there with them then as the wind begins to rise and the, the waves rise and the situation becomes uh, perilous for them and their fear rises. And maybe I join them in their prayer to, Lord, doesn't it matter to you? We're perishing here and so forth. In this case, I am entering into the richness of God's Word through this wonderful imaginative capacity that God has given us. And that's what Ignatius means by contemplation. So those are the two basic insights. Obviously, we could say much more about it. He has wise counsel on how to begin the prayer, uh, what is the heart of the prayer, rich ways to uh, conclude the time of the prayer, and so forth. But it's all laid out in those books. I've done podcasts on it, too, if anybody wants to listen to those. Yeah, now mention the podcast so we can get our listeners to dial in. What, what... Sure. Those are available on uh, a really fine website and app called Discerning Hearts. And this is a laywoman, uh, Chris McGregor. She and her husband walked away from a very successful career in radio to dedicate themselves to beginning Catholic radio out in Nebraska and then a few years later, Chris started in her basement. She started this Discerning Hearts, which now reaches millions. And it's all rich uh, um, spiritual formation. Most of the speakers you've heard of, you'll find on there. And uh, on the, it's a free app, too. So uh, if anybody downloads that, tap on Spiritual Formation. My image will come up amongst other speakers. Tap on that, and it'll take you right to the series of podcasts, one of which is on meditation and contemplation. Perfect. They're on YouTube as well. They're very easy to get. Now, perfect. We'll put that in our show notes so everybody knows exactly where to find it. We're going to wrap the first half here. We're with Father Timothy Gallagher. We're talking about the Ignatian exercises. We're going to take a little deeper dive into uh, some more of those details when we return. We'll be right back inside the family room in moments. Sponsored by Versprite on the Quest. In today's world, cybersecurity is critical for your business. Award-winning Versprite provides solutions to protect your company from hackers. For protection now, see Versprite.com. That's V-E-R-Sprite.com. The Quest thanks Versprite for their support. The Quest presents Pro-Life Minutes. Did you know that if you were born after 1973, one-fourth of your generation is missing? Perhaps that's why so many people longing for their soulmates have not been able to find them. They may have been aborted. Have you wondered who will find the cure for Alzheimer's, cancer, or diabetes? God may have already sent someone to discover those cures, but someone's choice ended their life before it began. Society tells us that we are alive because of our mother's choice. The world says that your worth comes from your convenience to others, but the maker of this world tells us otherwise. 
You are created in the image and likeness of God, full of dignity, and no one can take that away from you. So be not afraid. Let's show the world that every life matters by speaking up for life at every opportunity. For more homegrown wisdom, visit thequestatlanta.com. I'm Father Tony Blunt from the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity. This is one of my favorite prayers, the act of faith. Oh my God, I firmly believe that you are one God in three divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I believe your divine Son became man and died for our sins, that he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe these and all the truths which the Holy Catholic Church teaches because you have revealed them to our eternal truth and wisdom who can neither deceive nor be deceived. In this faith, I intend to live and die. This is Dr. David Anders, host of Call to Communion. You know, Catholic Radio made a huge difference in my journey to the Catholic Church. I had pretty much read everything I could read and answered all the questions for myself I could answer, but I needed some real-life, breathing Catholics to talk to, you know, and I stumbled across Catholic Radio in my car and found people who'd walked the journey before me. I started calling them up and asking them questions, and they were there for me when I needed them, and they kind of helped me across some of those last hurdles between me and full inclusion in the Catholic Church. There are cities that have very few Catholics. There are some that have all kinds of Catholics. And yet, still, the guy next door to you, you can't assume he knows anybody who's Catholic. Catholic Radio, for a lot of people, is literally the only Catholics they know. I believe your support of your Catholic radio station can make an eternal difference in the life of an individual, a family, and in society. So support Catholic Radio. To donate, log on to thequestatlanta.com. Hello, this is Father Joe Wagner, a priest of the Archdiocese of Atlanta. Thank you for listening to your Atlanta Catholic Radio AM 1160, The Quest. God bless you. Welcome back to The Family Room with Mari, John, and Craig, sponsored by Versprite on AM 1160, The Quest. Welcome back into the family room. Thanks for joining us. If you've been listening, we've been talking to Father Timothy Gallagher, and we've been talking about his book, Discernment of Spirits in Marriage. Uh, but before we get into that book and, and really uh, dissect it a little bit, you know, Father, we love to hear about any family room memories you may have had, you know, give it growing up or even in, in your ministry. So what would you want to share with our listeners about your favorite family room memory? Well, when you use that phrase, family room, what that immediately evokes for me is how we spent Sunday evenings in winter. So we'd, we'd be active, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of boys in the family, you know, a lot of outdoor activity. And I uh, grew up in upstate New York, so pretty cold and snow all winter long. And uh, our house was an old farmhouse. It was probably 100 years old when, uh, when we got it. Oh, wow. And... Um, in the main living room was uh, just a, a really nice fireplace, which was uh, the center. My parents chose not to have a television, which I'm very grateful for. And so the fireplace was kind of the center. And what I'm thinking of is uh, Sunday evenings, maybe we were out sledding or something, or who knows what the activity had been. Uh, my mom would uh, get, gather leftovers and various things, and she had a big iron pot and it would be over the fire, and she'd be making a soup, which was a really great soup, you know, made over <laughs> the fire. Getting hungry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, 
the lights would be a little dimmed, and uh, very often my dad, he'd be lying on the sofa. We'd all be lying on the on the rug, you know, around the sofa, between the sofa and the fire, and he would read to us. Uh, I can remember him reading some of Russell Kirk's stories. I can still remember those. Um, uh, Damon Runyon's stories, which we really enjoyed. And uh, a little bit later, uh, when the book was available, The Lord of the Rings, you know, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, he he read to some of the youngers. So it was just a very beautiful way, you know, looming on the horizon was getting to bed in school the next morning, which was not very welcome. (laughs) But it was a a lovely way to spend the uh, Sunday evenings together, really kind of a family way that uh, I'll always be grateful for. So when you say family room, that's what comes to mind. Great. Awesome. I love that. Thank you for sharing that, Father. Let's go back into a a little more serious conversation. One of the things that we spoke of, and Father, you touched on it, is this whole discernment, and it's the enemy and the good spirits. It is my opinion that one of the tools that the devil uses is to sort of help us make us believe that he doesn't exist. He's not messing around with anything. You know, that was all medieval stuff. I don't do that anymore. Whatever you're feeling that's bad, it's just you being bad, right? Ignatius helps us to discern those things. Help us understand, first, I guess, the fact that the desolation is from the evil one, and then will you take that into marriage for us, particularly in your book, Discernment of Spirits for Marriage? Maybe walk us through how you lay that out and how it's helpful or how you anticipate it being helpful. Sure. You know, I think one of the things to which we owe a debt of gratitude to Pope Francis is that from the start of his pontificate, he's been speaking very openly about the devil, you know, and uh, and his influence, which has been a very good thing, I think, for the whole Church to hear that from someone like Pope Francis. And then um, the second thing that comes to mind is what uh, C.S. Lewis says in the introduction to his screw tape letters, which is a little jewel. And he says there are two errors to avoid with regard. I'll use Ignatius' word, the enemy, um, which is a good one. He's the one who is against what God intends for us. There are two errors to avoid. One is to completely dismiss the reality of the enemy, of the evil one. And the other is to be seeing him everywhere. You know, and so uh, I think Ignatius strikes a very healthy balance. I think what's missed very often is when we think of the evil one, of the enemy, we tend to think of movies like The Exorcist and things mm-hmm. like that, you know, the the more um, striking um, manifestations. And what we tend to miss is what Ignatius, better than anyone else, helps us to, to be in touch with. So the man at 10 p.m. Uh, sitting there with his uh, eye on the phone all right, that's pretty daily undramatic stuff, but it's really important. And there you have the enemy pushing him, Ignatius would say, toward low and earthly things. Or the woman uh, who loves the Lord, who is hearing this discouraging voice in her heart, you're not what you should be, and so on. That's the enemy uh, trying to sap her energy as she goes forward. So the great gift that Ignatius gives us is to help us see of course, the enemy, but not only, even more, the good spirit, you know, in our daily lives. And it's important for us to recognize and to say here that both are real, the good spirit and the enemy, but they're not equal. The enemy is, yes, of a higher order than we, but still no more than a fallen creature. The good spirit is the infinite, eternal, omnipotent, infinitely close and loving God. You know, so this is a whole, that's one thing I love about these rules, it's the spirituality of hope. 
but with its feet on the ground. So yeah, the enemy is going to try to discourage you uh, as you live your vocation, in this case, your marriage. And so much can change when you understand what's going on, because that sets you free to respond to it. What we tend to do in our secularized culture is we relegate our interior life, let's say the the stirrings of our hearts and our thoughts to the psychologists. And I don't want to, I don't want to minimize the good, you know, good sound psychology does an enormous amount of good, but what is uh, generally missed is the deepest level of that interior experience, which is on the spiritual level where the good spirit and the enemy are at work, you know, grace is at work and the, the tempter is at work. And Ignatius is uh, a genius in helping us in a very clear and usable way to understand that. And of course, yeah, this is working uh, all the time in a marriage. Um, you know, I, I'm remembering as uh, we're saying this, one couple telling me that they, they've both been through this. Well, I'll mention the book. You mentioned it, The Discernment of Spirits in Marriage. And the reason I wrote that was because it seemed to me, as far as I know, this has never been done before, that uh, it would be important to apply this teaching specifically to the vocation that most of us live, you know, which is uh, which is marriage. And the most beautiful feedback I've gotten on that book is this: when uh, husbands or wives tell me, "We went through that book together, and we're now talking on a level we never did before," because now they have a vocabulary and an understanding of about things like consolation and desolation. And I don't. You know, only in marriage, it's the only vocation in which the help that can be your most powerful accompaniment in the spiritual life is right with you in the home, uh, your spouse. You know, wherever that is possible for husbands and wives to share the spiritual journey and to be able to talk about it together, uh, I don't think there's anything more powerful than that. And it's only in marriage that uh, that that's it. You're not trying to be each other's spiritual directors. Uh, I'd say you're trying to be, you, you are spiritual friends, but I'd say more than that. You know, you're spiritual spouses, husbands and wives who are sharing uh, the spiritual life. Just uh, one thing that comes to mind is a couple that told me that they, they knew this teaching, and they had an agreement that when, let's say, if she knew she was in desolation, she would text her husband, wherever he was, at work or wherever, and um, ask, just share it with him, let him know, and... Um, he would text back that he's praying with her and uh, vice versa, and then they would have a chance eventually in the day to talk about it together. Now imagine living your marriage on that level. I've also heard of couples who uh, make a kind of uh, examination of conscience, a shared examination of conscience at the end of the day, in which they are looking not simply at areas of failure, but at areas of spiritual experience like this, you know, now imagine what happens in a marriage when a husband and wife are regularly talking on that level, which is the deepest level of our experience. Just very beautiful things happen. I've even heard of a couple that uh, they said in the midst of spilt milk and the rest, they um, had their children join with them at supper in a kind of very simple form of review of the day together with the Lord. And uh, the children came to love it, and uh, if they forgot it, they would, no, we have to do, <laughs> we have to do this, you know. So uh, I, I can't recommend too much to husbands and wives to get to know these 14 rules. If this book can help, then uh, I'd be I'd be uh, honored to think that it could serve in that way. Of course, I've done a number of other books as well, but this one does 
apply it directly to marriage. We see a, a, a couple, Mark and Anne, who stand for all married couples, and we watch them go through the experience that Ignatius describes, and then we illuminate it through the corresponding teaching of uh, St. Ignatius. And I'd say this, maybe there's someone listening who says, well, I'd like to do that, but I'm not sure my spouse would be open to doing that with me. Then I would say this, you are 50% of your marriage. That's a lot of your marriage. Uh, Go through it. Learn it. Um, You know, um, be strengthened and encouraged um, and and find new clarity in your spiritual life through this. And only good things are going to come from that for you and for your marriage. And I'd agree, because as I mentioned during the break, I have read the book. And what I love about it is the practicality of how you took this couple and you inserted them in the book and their dialogue. And for a a person like myself, who's very visual, it helped create a visual on, you know, the dynamic and how it works. And, and, And again, the practicality of when the husband's failing one way, how the wife is is there and she learns to how to deal with him in his desolation and how to encourage him and all these things. So very, very practical. And, and one and you, and you may have already answered it directly enough, but I want to make sure we clarify. So often when you talk to people, they will say, but I don't know how to hear God's voice. I don't hear God's voice. Can you expound on how we actually do hear God's voice? And sometimes we may miss it or, just don't recognize that it's God's voice? If Sure, and uh, a lot needs to be said in answer to that, so I'm just going to say a few things rapidly and then focus on our topic, which is the Sermon of Spirit. So um, St. Bonaventure says that God spoke to us through two books, uh, the Scriptures and then the Book of Nature. And those are two ways that we hear God's voice. Read Scripture, um, get to know it, pray with it, and uh, in a very real way, you'll be hearing God speak to you. Uh, And if you can do that in a consistent way, let's say 10 minutes a day, uh, if you can find that much time or 15 or whatever is uh, practical, if it's only listening to an app while you're commuting to work uh, in the car, whatever it might be, but get close to the Word of God and you'll find that you're hearing God's voice uh, more and more. The Book of Nature is another lovely way to get to know God, all the beauties of nature that, uh, that God has given us. Jesus gave us the church, and so through the voice of the church, we hear God's voice. You know, how does God view this or that aspect of our lives or this or that um, behavior or choices and so forth? Listen to the church, you'll be hearing God's voice. So those are universal things. You also hear God's voice through the circumstances of your life, the people in your life. But to get more directly to our topic, I would say learn Ignatius's 14 rules, and you will find out that um, God has been speaking all along, but it was just a little difficult to recognize it. With Ignatius' help, you'll be recognizing it. When you're experiencing spiritual consolation and the inspirations that come with this, you'll be able increasingly to recognize that. And then finally, I would say, ideally, don't be alone with this. I think it's really important for us, especially as the culture supports uh, our Christian faith less and less and even is hostile to it in varying ways. It becomes increasingly important not to be alone on this spiritual journey. If husbands and wives, if you can walk it together, that's the most beautiful thing imaginable. Uh, Even so, 
I think we all want various ways to be accompanied. A woman told me that she and uh, her friends, they were all, uh, they were young mothers at this point with children. They would get together every Saturday morning for brunch, all those who could. And it was just great being together. But they all knew that at a certain point, they were going to start talking on this level, you know, about the spiritual life and what's happening there. Now, imagine how strengthening that is. Or today, uh, a FaceTime or a Zoom conversation uh, with a spiritual friend who may not even be physically available to you there, uh, groups in the parishes and so forth. It's, it's really important if we want to live this discerning life, uh, that we not be alone with it. And that's Ignatius Rule 13, actually. Great. I appreciate you to kind of pulling that apart a little bit. If we think back over the different books that you've written, Father Gallagher, and we have folks who are saying, okay, I'm very interested and I'm a novice. Probably 10 minutes a day is the max I'm going to get. Which book would you recommend they start with to start working and walking this path? I think the answer to that question is, am I a reader or not? Um, The more accessible, shorter, uh, as you said, Craig, I I think it's very accessible book would be The Discernment of Spirits in Marriage for anyone who lives the married vocation. I think that's the right place to start. It's very accessible. I think it's very clear. If a person is a little bit more of a reader, enjoys reading, and is willing to read a more complete uh, treatise on this, then the book would be The Discernment of Spirits, subtitle, An Ignatian Guide to Everyday Living. And that book is not hard to read either. It's pretty accessible, uh, but it will just take you through the 14 rules in more detail. Again, with a lot of examples, so it's not a difficult book to read. A person might start in the prologue and say, I really have to be attentive here, but I can promise any reader by chapter one, you'll be fully on board with it. I'd agree with that. And of course, there are the podcasts, which are a great way to get it. You know, Discerning Hearts, hearts, and the series is The Discernment of Spirits. And again, I hate to keep going back and forth, and I'm sure hit on it, but I want to make sure it's clear. Why does it seem today more than ever we have this focus on discerning spirits? I know Dan and Stephanie Burke have been on our show, and Dan's big thing is discerning spirits. Why all of a sudden does this seem to come more to the forefront in our world today, do you think? Well, amongst other things, we have a pope who is constantly speaking about discernment. He even did a series of Wednesday audience talks on discernment, which, as far as I know, has never been done in the Church's history. As a Jesuit, he's very alive to this, you know, so certainly I think that has made a difference. Uh, I don't want to overstate the case, but I think that the the way of presenting it that um, I'd like to trust with God's grace I've been able to develop has had a real hand in this, too. Because prior to what I've done, there were two kinds of writing on the Sermon of Spirits. One was a very um, in-depth, quasi-academic, let's say, you know, um, uh, wonderful writing, but of its nature, a kind that not many people would read. And then the other kind was on a more popular level, where uh, the author might tend to go through the 14 rules in 10 pages or something like that, which is also a, a good thing, because without that, most people would have never even heard of this. I think what I've been able to develop is a presentation that is thorough and complete, but is accessible. 
And I think that's really had a, a, a lot to do with it. Another book out there, and I'm not recommending it at this point in time, given all the books you've written, but you know, when you look at uh, Saint, was it Saint Catherine of Siena's book on the interior castles, mm -hmm. understanding how when you're growing in your faith, the devil approaches you and it talks to you differently or tries to tempt you differently. And I think your book practically helps people get through that as well. Suddenly understanding to your point of your earlier, your earlier comment, you know, that's not from God. That, that kind of conversation or that kind of prompting is not from God, but this is, but at the same time, God allows us to have some points of desolation to sit in that and kind of walk through that as well. Why in the world would he allow us to sit in desolation? See, I love questions like that because you're thinking right with Ignatius. Ignatius addresses and answers that question in Rule 9. I, mean, I think as we talk, you can begin to see how this set of 14 rules came about. There's an organic quality to it. Um, there are various questions that need to be addressed. And at times I've asked myself, uh, if I had to add a 15th rule... Could I do it? And I can't do it. Um, I, there's there's nothing more that I find myself at least able to add. And you're you're very right in what you said earlier. Um, you find this in all the saints. You find it throughout Scripture. Ignatius' gift is that he was able to formulate it. I would say with more clarity and practicality and usability uh, than anyone else in the Catholic spiritual tradition. But it, it certainly is there throughout the um, the whole spiritual tradition. And now I've said enough things, so I forget what your original question was. <laughs> Why does he let us go through desolation? Oh, okay, good. All That's right. Rule 9. So Ignatius says there are at least three reasons why a God who loves us, and precisely because he loves us, will permit us to go through this these discouraging moments that the enemy brings. Say that again, though. Exactly what you just said, because I think this is key. All right. Um Another way to say the same thing would be this. If God, who loves us and whom we sincerely love, saw that it would serve our spiritual lives better never to experience spiritual desolation, we would never experience it. But if God sees that having to go through times of spiritual desolation and struggle with them actually is better for us in the spiritual life, then there is a reason why a God who loves us will permit us to go through these times of spiritual desolation. So it is precisely because he loves us that God permits us to undergo times of spiritual desolation. And for one of three reasons, sometimes the discomfort of spiritual desolation alerts us to areas areas of slippage in the spiritual life. Oh, you know, I don't feel the same closeness with you, Lord. Okay, that morning time of prayer has slipped. Let me start that again tomorrow. Uh, it's a love that loves us too much to leave us with areas of regression like that and wants our growth. And then the other two have nothing at all to do with failure on our part. There may be no negligence or failure, but sometimes God will permit spiritual desolation as a trial because Yes, beautiful growth in the spiritual life comes through the joy of spiritual consolation, but normally certain kinds of growth and very important kinds of growth in the spiritual life only come when we go through the struggle with a certain amount of discouragement or maybe darkness. And we can all look back on our spiritual lives and see that. Sometimes the best decisions that we made were made in times of darkness, you know. And then thirdly, sometimes God will permit it, again, when there's no fault in our part, 
because it helps to keep us from getting um, complacent uh, in the spiritual life or proud, maybe if you want to use that word. You know, look at what I've accomplished, how well I'm doing. When we go through a time of spiritual desolation, uh, we know just who we are spiritually. (laughs) And that roots us in a kind of humility, which for Ignatius is the rich space that opens us to all of the grace. So to summarize that, God will permit spiritual desolation um, to heal us from areas of slippage, to bring about growth that otherwise would not happen, and to help us avoid a pitfall. And that's a rapid summary of Rule 9. Yeah, beautifully said. There's so many resources here, Father. Let's just take one second, if we could, and recap. You shared with us Discerning Hearts podcasts and the Discernment of Spirits portion of that. There's all these resources at Sophia Press. And Sophia Press has been a great partner of ours here at The Quest, um, identifying folks like you and getting us connected. What other resources uh, should our listeners be thinking about? Well, I think the resources are either written or digital or in person. If it's written, then I would say the two books that I mentioned earlier, Discernment of Spirits in Marriage Mm -hmm. or The Discernment of Spirits. If it's digital, then I would listen to the podcasts. You can do that while you're getting a meal or commuting Mm -hmm. or doing laundry or, or, or whatever. And in some ways, I think the listening may almost be the best uh, introduction to this. If a person does that together with the reading, each reinforces the other in a very rich way. And those uh, podcasts are available on Discerning Hearts. They're available on YouTube. Uh, You can go on iTunes or Google Play. They're on Spotify. They're on Form. They're everywhere. And then in person, I'm traveling around the country all the time, you know, doing uh, presentations on this. Anybody who's listening would be very welcome to come to one or another of those. And probably very shortly, there'll be others of our priests doing this as well. Right. Thank you so much, Father Gallagher. Would you close us with a short prayer, please? Heavenly Father, we bless you that you connect us across cyberspace. We bless you for your word. Above all, we bless you that we are so beloved in your heart. We ask that you make fruitful these minutes and this conversation that we've shared. And Mary, with very confident hearts, we entrust this prayer to you. And may the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. 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 Thank you very much, uh, Father Gallagher, for being with us. And listeners, thank you for being with us in the family room. Join us next week in the family room where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families. Thanks for hanging out with us in the family room, sponsored by Versprite. For more info, go to thequestatlanta.com.